to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. Before I start this week's podcast episode, I want to make a request. If you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're listening for the very first or second time, or you are an avid listener and you haven't yet rated and reviewed the podcast, I want to ask you to spare just two minutes to go and do that now. Let me tell you why I make this request. When you rate and review the podcast, Apple or Spotify, depending on whichever one that you listen through, then use these ratings and reviews to make suggestions to other parents who'll be listening to podcasts that this podcast, the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast, might be worth a listen. So it really does allow you and I to spread the love. And it literally takes you two minutes of that. Rating is simply about pressing the number of stars and enter. And reviewing is simply writing just a couple of words or longer if you want to about why you enjoy the podcast. So I'm happy to wait whilst you go do it. Just press pause and pop back when you're ready. All done? So we can now begin. This is episode 125 and today's episode highly sensitive children, question mark, question mark. I want to share my thoughts on this personality trait and what it means for children who might be, how best to use this newfound knowledge, although I suspect some of you may already have a bit of an inkling. And I also want to talk about how useful the highly sensitive label is for our children. Now, Dr. Elaine Aaron, was one of, who's an author of The Highly Sensitive Person, one of the first who's really advocated for this idea about defining a highly sensitive person and then obviously that has an impact if we're a highly sensitive person then at some point we were a highly sensitive child and so what she sort of defines it as someone who has a sensitive nervous system and our nervous system really is the kind of fundamental part on which we make choices around our behaviors and our emotions so her idea is that that Basically, a highly sensitive person has a sensitive nervous system and is aware of the subtleties in their surroundings and is therefore, because they have this sensitive nervous system, they are more easily overwhelmed when they're placed in an environment that is highly stimulating. And that could be highly stimulating in terms of just this sheer volume of things that there are to process. It can be volume, it can be people, it can be just an overstimulation. Elaine goes on to sort of elaborate that compared to other people who aren't highly sensitive, a highly sensitive person spends a lot of time processing and reflecting on their experiences. And of course, if you're if they're in a, an environment where they have a huge amount of information and they're being bombarded with a lot of information, their nervous system is in overload, almost slightly anxious and panic stricken and because they're quite reflective that can often feel overwhelming and these are some of the common signs and traits of a highly sensitive person from the perspective of Dr Elaine Aaron. I'm going to give you my thoughts after that but I'm just trying to give you some context in terms of this. So some of the common signs and traits are being a deep thinker, having a vivid imagination. Elaine Aaron puts down being introverted. I challenge that on the basis that a lot of her research and a lot of what she talks about then is saying that being introverted is one of the common signs and yet 30% of highly sensitive people are extroverted. So I want you to consider being introverted as a as a way that, that they behave. 
And remember, when we talk about being introverted, this isn't about being quiet. It's much more about an introvert and an extrovert differ, not in their ability to be social or unsociable beings or loud beings. It's just simply where they get their energy from. An extroverted individual gets their energy by being around people. Their battery is charged by being around people. An introvert, when they are around people, people, their battery is discharged. So they recharge their battery by being on their own. An extrovert, their battery is discharged when they're on their own, but recharged when they're with people. So the common signs for a highly sensitive person include appearing introverted, being a deep thinker, vivid imagination, becoming overwhelmed by sensory input, such as loud places, being averse to conflict, so they avoid conflict, difficult conversations, conflicting conversations. They dislike violence, so they're not children who will be watching violent films or horror films. And they have they feel very strong emotions. And Dr. Aaron argues that it's estimated that probably around 20% of the population will exhibit some of these highly sensitive traits. What are my thoughts? So I'm going to be brutally honest because I think that's the only way to do this. When you look at some of those common signs, and I'm professing here that I know some aspects of this, I've read around this, but I have not read her specific book. I'm talking about it broadly speaking. I fundamentally recognise that there are some children and some adults who who are sensitive, who are high empaths, and who exhibit personality traits. And remember, with a highly sensitive person, we're not talking about a disorder. We're simply talking about a personality trait a way of thinking part of a character rather than this being a negative thing and Dr Aaron doesn't talk about it in that way and you know apologies if I seem to be singling her out I'm not I'm not trying to but this notion of being a highly sensitive person is not seen as a weakness is not seen as a disorder and something that's a problem my personal views are that so much of who we are and I, you know I'm going to talk you through you know sort of five things that I think we can do in order of helping and supporting our children if we see that they exhibit some of these traits is that fundamentally we're made up of all sorts of characters and personality traits that make us who who we are and one of the things I think that is sort of concerning me just generally is that whilst we acquire more and more knowledge and we're more and more aware about child development we're more aware about how the environment impacts our children we're more aware about mental health issues we're talking about emotional well-being And a lot of that is stemmed from the latest research. But also as parents, we're becoming more self-aware about ourselves and our childhood and how certain things that our parents did impacted us both both in a good way and in a not so good way. You know, we're more informed about trauma. There's so much of that knowledge that, that has come to us and that so much more information is accessible in the past, all of the latest research would have not been available to just everybody. It would have been psychologists that were in academic environments that would have had all of this this information. So obviously, as parents, we're able to get hold of this information much more easily and more books are being published by 
you know, eminent psychologists who are using language that's much easier for us as parents to be able to access, and also our children. And I guess fundamentally, my concern is around the overuse of labels. You know, whether we talk about introverted or extroverts, whether we talk about being an internal locus of control person or an external locus of control person, whether we're a high empath, whether we're not, whether we're a highly sensitive person or we're not. My concern generally with this is that knowledge is power. However, that knowledge can be less powerful when we feel that in order to be able to truly describe ourselves, truly describe our children or make those next steps, that we need to have a definitive header or a label in order to do that. So I do not deny that there are people who are highly sensitive and that that is the same also with children. I do not deny that we have these various different personality traits. I would just encourage and urge you, and I'll talk about this in my five top tips, is that take this information and see it as part of the overall package that makes your child rather than getting caught in a very specific one-dimensional narrow parameter. And I, I genuinely, I say this with love because I do, what one of the things that I'm seeing more and more of is children self-pathologizing. And that is they're concerned about a particular aspect or character, aspect or character of themselves that they don't like or that they wish was different or they feel is, is different when they compare themselves to their peers. And rather than accepting that that's a dimension of who they are and working on identifying an, an aspect that they would rather have and then working, you know, identifying what do I need to do in order to be this version of who I want to be rather than focusing on, on that particular aspect of themselves that they would rather was different. What I'm seeing more and more of is lots of Google searches and lots of labels that they are giving themselves based on what they have searched. And I think that can be immensely damaging because our children and our teens are doing that. If we then if we then add on another layer and we're then also doing that, even if we're doing it in a subtle way, then I think that that, that for me takes that ownership away from fundamentally I am who I am and I can change who I am and I'm empowered to be any version of myself to suddenly I have this thing that is me it is outside of me it drives my behavior it drives who I am and I have no power and no way of changing that so that's just a context I'm not and I say this genuinely with love so let me talk you through what I think are the five things because actually when you look at some of the common traits that are around a highly sensitive person they can fall into so many other aspects of people's character and personality And also in terms of other things, you know, neurodiversity will share some commonalities and some of the common signs and traits that we've looked at. So that's why I think we have to just look at it in a broad perspective and consider it as in, you know, my child in certain situations feels very overwhelmed. Their nervous system gets overwhelmed. And these are some of the things that we can do to support them. So these are my five top tips. Number one is please don't label your child and I'm sure you don't but we do it inadvertently so if we think about the roles that we end up having in our family so don't think about your children for a minute but think about you I've talked about this before but this idea that we end up becoming we end up with these roles that are given to us through our 
through our interactions with our family. Some of them are really explicit, like you're the naughty one, they're the funny one, they're the unorganized one. Oh, they're they're the helper, they're the good girl, they're the, the you know my solid foundation boy. Whatever it is, these roles, these labels come to us and they're not necessarily explicit. Sometimes we might say, oh, so-and-so is a bit bit sensitive or they're always a daydreamer. So I want you to think you may not explicitly label your child. You may not say, oh, you're highly sensitive. But in your interactions and in the language that you use and how you respond to certain situations may create this. So just be really aware, aware of that. And also, if you recognize that your child is highly sensitive, it's not about being deceitful by not saying that 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 is how they respond in their environment. And it's not that we're being deceitful or not honest. It's just about I just don't want us compartmentalizing our children on one component of what makes them them. Yes, it, it might be a huge part of what makes them them. But still, this idea about labelling, I genuinely, it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't always know how your child's going to respond to this. So for some children, it is absolutely enlightening and can have a profound impact by being given that really clearly defined. The reason why I struggle with this is because I am I am X. For others, it becomes, a, it becomes something that is used as a crutch to always avoid certain situations I can't do that because I am x so I think my and I've always been upfront about this I've always been upfront with families that I've worked with where we've looked at neurodiversity or whether we've looked at additional learning support or whether we've looked at specific you know diagnoses in terms of disorders around general anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder or whatever that might be it's not that I'm trying to get rid of the fact that they're having challenges I'm just simply acknowledging Whatever we might have as sort of fundamental characteristics of who we are that we may argue we've been born with genetically, that, you know, that's the whole nature-nurture. Nature has given us, for example. There is always an opportunity to change, develop, grow and exercise that muscle to bring in other attributes. And I'll talk about that shortly, but that's the reason why I just don't find it particularly helpful to label a child we can talk about feeling overwhelmed we can talk about the fact that they're really connected to their emotions we can talk about sometimes when the noises when noises and people are really loud that that can really impact them and that we recharge our batteries by being having some downtime that's absolutely fine I think for me it's just about avoiding giving very specific labels that our children then see themselves within that box rather than the whole broad spectrum of what they can and who they can be. So number one is around that, please don't label, whether that's explicit or implied in some of the interactions that we have with our children, that's number one. Number two is remember the brain is a muscle and with practice your child can be and do anything they set their mind to and that works the other way too. If they set their mind to this label, that can reinforce any perceived limitations of being a highly sensitive person. Remember the power of yet. Uh, This was something that I did with my children when I first read Carol Dweck's work, um, when she talked about growth mindset and fixed mindset. And her view was very much, you know, just as a, a recap for anyone who's not listened to the episode or, you know, repetition is the mother of all learning. So it's always good to hear some of these things again, is that a fixed mindset tends to view capabilities and abilities as, as fixed. 
nothing can be done about them. I'm great at maths, I'm not. I'm creative, I'm not. I'm sporty, I'm not. Very clear. Growth mindset tends to view capabilities and abilities as plastic, you know, as things that we can acquire at any time. They just require practice. Now, of course, our children are not going to use that language. They're not going to say, well, I can be an astrophysicist if I just practice. But you'll find what typically happens with children who've got that growth mindset is that they'll just keep trying. They recognize that it is about just giving things a go and over over time that they'll be able to do that. Whereas someone with a fixed mindset tends to be much more rigid and tends to stick within the things that they ex- that they perceive that they excel at or that they're good at, and then they avoid things or trying things that they that they feel that they're not going to be able to do. So that's where we get that. The power of yet, the reason why that three-letter word is so incredible and so powerful is that when we add that to the end of a statement, it takes it from being an absolute concrete inherent part of who I am to creating that space that I could so for example I can't fly a plane I can't fly an airplane if I add the word yet it doesn't change the fact that I can't fly an airplane but it takes it from this absolute this is a character this is part of who I am I simply cannot fly an airplane to at the moment I can't fly an airplane but I have the option to learn if I choose and that's what comes when I say I can't fly an aeroplane yet. And I, my poor children, I'm sure there are times, and actually they did say, there are times where they probably were quite sick of the fact that I do what I do. But when they would say things like, oh God, I can't do simultaneous equations, I would always add the word yet. So what we're doing here is we're always keeping that kind of opportunity open. And it sounds like I'm being pernickety. But it is massively profound because the language our children use out loud is only a fraction of the language that they're using in their head. And if that language is always around, I can't, I'm not good enough, I, this is too much, I'm overwhelmed, then of course, if our brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined, if we keep telling it that we can't, I can guarantee you that's what, that's what it's going to then end up doing. So it's really important that we pick our children up not in a kind of unkind way we're doing it compassionately and we can have conversations with them about the reason why I keep saying yet the reason why I'm encouraging you to use that language is because the brain is a muscle and the more we exercise it the stronger it becomes and we talk about that muscle when we're talking about running or exercising or you know anything that's physical but we forget that that muscle also operates in anything and everything that we want to practice and we want to learn. And one of the muscles that we want to exercise to strengthen is the muscle that says, I can do anything I want to if I choose, and then I can then practice. So really remembering that power of yet. So it may well be that you've got a child who gets really overwhelmed in loud noise in in sort of loud environments so i'm you know i i can't cope with crowded crowded spaces yet i'm working on being able to right now it's difficult but i'm i'm getting there because we've changed it from i can't this is absolute this is part of who i am to this is something i'm working on simply by adding the word yet you can tell i'm quite passionate about that one can't you all right so the first one is please don't label your child the second is to remember the brain is a muscle And with practice, your child can do and be anything they want. The third is remembering 
that if you're identifying with a lot of these character traits, that this high, you know, highly sensitive person, highly sensitive child is just one trait, one aspect of who your children are. And we should be encouraging them and also ourselves to see our children in the multi-dimensions which make them who they are, rather than in that one dimension. We're not 3D, we're multi-dimensional. And we often get caught up in this one part of ourselves that we find maybe is limiting, that gets in the way of things that we want to do. We wish it wasn't that way. We forget to then look at all of these other incredible aspects of our dimension that are fabulous, that that make us that unique, wonderful, incredible friend, that make us that unique, incredible creative, or make us that unique, wonderful thinker or empath. I, I really would encourage you, if you've got a child who's stuck in this loop of, you know, I can't do this and it's too difficult, is okay, is encourage them that that's one aspect of who they are and and, an area that they find challenging at the moment that they may see as limiting, but also, and acknowledge that we want, we need, we don't want to sort of dismiss it or diminish how that feels for them. But what we then also want to help them do is that problem solving piece of, okay, well, this is one part of me. Let's consider all the other parts of you. You are, that's one, you're, you know, we're multi-dimensional, we're multifaceted. And let's focus on all of the other aspects. So remembering that it's just one trait. The fourth one is about problem solving their biggest challenges and emphasizing their biggest strengths. So if we look at the the sort of the signs and the traits that are part of a highly sensitive person, what we then want to do is if they can then identify which is the biggest challenge that they have, then it's about problem solving. So if, for example, it is that they feel overwhelmed in sort of crowded places or noisy places. And what that's then doing is they are then avoiding going to parties or going out with people or they're finding the classroom overwhelming. What we can then do is, okay, this is what you're struggling with at the moment and that's what you want to work on. Let's problem solve. How can we help you feel that you're better equipped to manage that situation? So rather than that, this is who you are and that's too difficult, is really help them to to look at what are some of the things that we could do to reduce that overwhelm. So it's looking at the aspect of the overwhelm. What is it about that situation that feels overwhelming? So it may well be that your child will say just that level of noise. So we can help them maybe tune into a reduced amount of noise so rather than looking at the whole picture we then encourage them to becoming a little bit more blinkered and focusing maybe on one aspect so it's really about helping them see that any challenge that they're facing is something that can be dealt with but we need to do it step by step and breaking it down looking at why that particular thing feels overwhelming and challenging and how can we then put some things in place to try some of the things we put in place and we problem solve may not work and that's okay but we're encouraging that yet that growth mindset that practice we need to try some different things and see what happens as well as balancing that with them also recognizing some of the great strength their biggest strength and how that aspect can then be transferred some of the strengths that they have and their ability to navigate some situations really well how some of the skills that they use in those situations are transferable to the situations that they find overwhelming and problem solving how they might use 
some of those things from their strengths into the areas where they find challenging. That's number four. So we've got please don't label. Remember the brain is a muscle. Being a highly sensitive person is just one trait. The fourth is about problem solving their biggest challenges and emphasizing their biggest strengths. And the fifth is about praising all their efforts and being descriptive with our praise rather than overusing superlatives of you're wonderful, incredible, amazing, you're so capable, you're so clever. Yeah, these are superlatives, they're lovely, but they don't actually tell our children what is it specifically that we are praising, that we have seen, that we like, that we love, that we we're proud of, because when we describe it, it works two ways. Children get to a certain age and it isn't very long before the superlatives make no difference. It's like, it's like water off a duck's back. It goes straight over their heads. It's like, oh, you're my parent. Of course, you're going to say that. When we use descriptive praise and we clearly describe what it is that we are impressed with, that we are proud of, what happens is twofold. The praise lands much better because they can see the connection between the words we're using and the actions that they have just done. Yeah, anyone can say that that's amazing, that's incredible. But if they, if you say, I'm really impressed with the way that you took that massive deep breath and I could see that you were massively fearful, but you still stepped into that room that was really loud. And that really impressed me that you, that you, despite all of the fears that you had, you were brave enough to take that step. That's really clear about what you saw that your child actually did What that does is so that praises them and they take that on board much more. And then the other aspect to it is that by describing it really clearly, they then get a very clear indication of what you want more of. And that makes a massive difference. So it's about praising all of their efforts, telling them exactly what you are super proud of, and you will 100% get more of it. And what it, you know, when I've seen children, you know, in those scenarios where we're really clear with our descriptive praise, it's like they literally grow another foot because, you know, they suddenly their shoulders go from being slumped to sort of like back and they're just like puffed up and it's like, oh, they feel incredible about it. And it also reinforces the language that they use with themselves that takes it away from that I can't to I can. And what's important with the praises, don't just praise effort where the outcome has been good. Praise effort where the outcome has not been as they as they would wish, where you know there's been failure. So whether they when they've taken that deep breath and really tried to step into that crowded room, but fundamental, but then still felt overwhelmed and withdrew and avoided it, you can still praise the observation that you had that they took that deep breath, that they attempted to take that step forward, but then it got too much and they walked away, because in order to walk into an, a an environment that makes them feel overwhelmed they have to kind of get there through certain steps and it may be that it takes them four five twenty times before they're able to do that if we keep praising every effort that we visibly see that they are trying to take that step with each time that brain muscle is getting stronger and stronger and they're much more likely to then finally take that step if we are recognizing and praising their efforts, because that's part of the growth mindset. You know, if it's if it's fixed mindset, it's about outcome and they failed each time they haven't stepped into the room. But by trying each time and visibly seeing what they're doing to try each time builds that muscle 
And we know that eventually they will then feel brave and then they'll do that. So let's just recap these five. So the first one is about not labeling. The second one is remembering the brain is a muscle. The third is remembering that this is just one character trait, one personality trait as part of a multi-dimensions that make our children who they are. The fourth one is helping them problem solve their biggest challenges and also emphasizing their biggest strength. And the fifth is about making sure that we praise all their efforts, whether the outcome is what they wanted or not, and really being clear with the description about what it is that we're praising. So my give this week will be these five points in a useful sort of heading so that you can sort of look at those and work out which one that you're going to work on first. But it's also a great reminder. You can download this from my free resource library, drmaryhan.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my other podcast episodes. As ever, I'm going to top and tail it and ask you again. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow, rate and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. Bye.